0: Hello and welcome to the Joyful Doctor podcast, my name is Dr Caroline Walker and I am the Joyful Doctor. Uh, I have a real passion for helping doctors to live happier lives full of reward and meaning and that's why I really wanted to bring you this podcast each episode is going to be an interview with an amazing doctor that I respect, love, admire, and think has some wonderful things to share with you to help you to become an even more joyful doctor than you already are. I've um, really struggled over the years, and um, as a doctor, and also, you know, I've fallen in and out of love with medicine many, many times, and and through it all, I just keep coming back to this idea that we should be doing more of what we love so I hope that through listening to these podcasts you might be able to connect with what it is that you really love to do and to do more of it welcome welcome to the joyful doctor podcast Welcome! Welcome to the first ever Joyful Doctor podcast. Hooray. Hi. <laughs> Hi! Hi everyone. <laughs> oh, I'm so exciting, um, and I'm really, really excited to have you with me, Josie. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm honoured to be your first guest.
1: I hope I live up to expectations.
0: Oh, I'm sure you will. Um, so, let me tell people a little bit about you, just sure. so that they've got an idea of where you're coming from um, and why I've asked you to come um, and be the first ever guest uh, on the Joyful Doctor podcast. So. You are, as I understand it at the moment, an old age liaison psychiatrist. That's right. A consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, you're Just also, about freshly cooked. <laughs> and you're also a, um, a really keen researcher, mm-hmm. author, teacher, um, and you are, and I know you to be, a wonderful horsewoman. Oh, thank um, you. And we're going to be talking a bit about your horses today, which is it's going to be lovely. I always love
1: talking about them.
0: <laughs> Um, and your interests really are around a whole range of things, um, leadership, medical humanities, um, communication mm-hmm. skills for doctors, and also the um, the horse-related stuff, like equine-assisted therapy and learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also one of the reasons I wanted to, to have you here as a guest so much is because I know that you yourself have had some struggles as a mm-hmm. doctor. I know you've had lived experience of your own mental health problems okay. and also for caring... For relatives who've struggled um, and yeah I guess I just well I will talk a bit more about how we met and how we came to be here today but um, that's just a bit of an introduction. Yeah I think you, it's great so. that we
1: talk about those things in particular because often we just focus on the positives and all the overachieving things that we do yes. and don't go into maybe the darker side of what's happened to us in our lives which actually most people can relate to so I think it's
0: good to have that as
1: part of the conversation
0: yeah well and it's it's um I'm really glad you said that because actually this is the joyful doctor podcast but the last thing I wanted people to think was actually it's about presenting this idea that doctors are always really happy and always really well because we do struggle um if not more than than the average You know, member of the general population. So, yeah. And life
1: these days generally is a bit about putting a bit of a polish on things, isn't it? And presenting your best self. Um, Yeah. Hopefully, we can. Yeah, we were just talking, weren't
0: we, about Instagram and Mm -hmm. Facebook and stuff. And I think that's something we're all experiencing at the moment that um, often you just see these um, polished versions Mm -hmm. of what people's lives are like. And actually, the the reality can be quite different. So, yeah. So, what does being a joyful doctor mean to you?
1: And for me it's the ultimate goal which um you don't always get right 100% of the time but it should be the target and for me it's balancing the different elements of your life so that each bit is enjoyable and satisfying so for me and I, I don't know if you can relate to this as well there are so many things that I enjoy and that make me happy sometimes I will throw myself into too many things mm-hmm. at once and that yep. means that <laughs> everything that used to make me happy is then a source of stress yeah so for me it's about finding the balance of spending enough time on the things that you like that you still enjoy them but they don't become a source of stress and I haven't quite managed it yet but I'm getting there I'm definitely better at it now than I used to be I'm not
0: sure we ever really manage it do I mean we were just saying over tea weren't we that um I mean I've been struggling a bit the last few weeks having too many things on my plate and they're all really wonderful things mm-hmm. that I love. So it, I sort of feel like I should be really happy and everything should be fine. But actually, it's just too much. And even mm-hmm. though it's all good stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. it's too much good stuff. Yeah. And so we actually... talked about good
1: stress, didn't we, yeah. earlier? Like stress, even if it's good stress, it's still yeah. stress. Like, um, they yeah. say even um, getting married is a, a life event in yeah. terms of triggering um, yeah. a, an episode of depression, isn't it? Even if it's a good. Absolutely. absolutely, getting
0: married, moving house, yeah, yeah. So even a good new things job, are stressful. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, can you tell us about a time when you maybe weren't such a joyful doctor as you are now? Mm.
1: Well, uh, I think uh, there's been a couple of times when I haven't been, I definitely haven't been a joyful doctor. The time that sticks out, the first thing that comes to mind, is when I moved from doing full time clinical work and going into a research job which was really different um quite a lonely experience mm. and my dad had passed away not long mm. before that had happened. So I think it was a culmination of things that had happened. Mm. And I was doing a very long journey, um, actually from Surrey into into the Institute of Psychiatry in Hilton, oh, yeah.
0: So how know, long was that
1: taking you? Probably an hour and forty five oh, minutes, my which goodness. is quite it's quite a yeah. long way and as my um, research supervisor once said to me, I don't travel well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Travelling long
1: distances does tend to uh, yeah. does stress me out.
0: And was um, that every day?
1: Um, about four days oh, a week gosh. I was doing that. Yeah, I would normally manage to do a, yeah. a day a week from home. And um, the the kind of the research office environment is just so different to being in a busy clinical environment. It's completely self directed. I think mm. we all like to think of ourselves as quite motivated and self-directed people mm. but actually when you take away that structure of a mm. medical job you can feel quite lost when you all you've got to do for a day is read six papers about something with nobody yeah. checking up on you or any yeah. price to pay if you don't do it other than your own deadlines it's actually quite hard to yeah. keep motivated and um, i think i learned that i need some short-term goals to feel a sense of achievement and Mm -hmm. that can be tricky with with research so Mm -hmm. it was a very difficult time whilst I was coming to terms with a different way of working and trying to find a new way of living day to day I guess with the long commute and less company and yeah. trying to drive myself forward to a much longer term goal than I'd ever been used to things had always been on the horizon before yeah. like, you know an exam in a few months or you know, membership in a year or so you know yeah. relatively short term but a PhD in three to four years time is a much longer yeah. goal. yeah and quite hard
0: how did you how did it manifest in you how did you know that you were struggling what did you notice
1: i found that i couldn't concentrate properly mm-hmm. so my mind would jump around from one thing to another and i was constantly looking for sources of distraction mm. so i found i was on social media an awful lot mm. um i would browse the internet excessively mm. i would get sucked down rabbit holes in mm. youtube and facebook and read widely and mm. loads of different things anything that i wasn't related to what i was actually doing that could grab my yeah. attention so i'd have to really force myself to have dedicated study time on on my research topic and it gets it gets easier with time i think a part of that was probably feeling quite lonely and not having anyone mm. in my department who was doing similar research or anyone to bounce ideas mm. off i'm somebody who and I know a lot of people relate to this, um, I don't really fully understand my own ideas or my own thinking until mm. I hear myself talking about them out loud yeah. and having instant feedback from somebody. Yeah, and I yeah. think in medicine, when you're working in teams, that's basically how you work yeah. a, a lot of the time and particularly in psychiatry anyway because mm. you're part of a bigger team and in research those times where you get to talk and bounce ideas off people are, are far more mm. limited and you have to really proactively go out and seek them and i think if you're feeling a bit low as i was I mean, that's, yeah. probably, that's an understatement i was i was actually depressed yeah. your ability to push yourself to go out there and have those conversations
0: is less yeah. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle was that the only time you found yourself depressed as a doctor? Do you think?
1: Um, I think when I made the when I made the jump from being an SHO to an SPR, I think that was quite difficult as well.
0: Mm. So it's going from being a sort of junior doctor to a yeah. senior doctor. Yeah, for, yeah. 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 What that's was difficult about that?
1: I think I'd I'd had a year out to do a fellowship, doing um, an MSc and leadership, uh, um, things. Mm. Which was really, really good, but completely non-clinical, mm. and to go then straight into a higher-level clinical job was quite mm. challenging. So I just I felt like I was just doubting my own ability because I'd been out yeah. of practice for a while. Yeah. I think anybody who's been out for a while whether it's been sick leave or maternity leave or whatever can relate to that feeling yeah. of being yeah. a bit I actually think it's something
0: really common to most doctors mm. um at every stage of their career actually that that self doubting mm. There's that I mean I certainly struggled with that idea of um am I really good enough to be here you know it's the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. it's the yeah, um, definitely relate to um, I'll get one. found out you know that everyone else at in my medical school actually knew what they were doing and I just kind of fluked through the exams and that kind of mm-hmm. feeling and yeah and it is it can be a very isolating job to do actually mm.
1: yeah so that was the other time the jump from yeah the jump from a lower level to a high level of training um, with a gap in between that what was helped tricky. you get
0: through those times
1: um, actually, it was exposure. So I think within a couple of months, and having done a few on calls, yeah, um, I just realised that it was okay. Yeah, um, I could do it. I was lucky that I was in a very supportive
0: post. Um, How did it was you? A nice training scheme. What was supportive about it? How did you? know it was a supportive. So post? Um, my consultant was aware
1: that I had had a year out. Okay. So. Um, mentioned that right at the beginning which yeah. was so helpful just yeah. that he even said it I oh, know you've been off for a year yeah. and it might feel a bit strange coming back to clinical yeah. work and it was just so nice for him to raise yeah. it as I you know, actually my I most supported roles
0: as a doctor were in a similar setting where the my direct manager so the consultant usually um would acknowledge where you're at actually like whether you've got children or whether you're working part-time mm-hmm. or whether you've as you say come back from a career break or Um, if you have mental health problems or you know all of that sort of thing it can be so helpful to but in a way I had to learn I had to share that with them in order for Mm. them to support me Mm. because I think there were many times early on in my career that I expected to be supportive but didn't actually let people know what my Mm. challenges were so Mm. that's certainly something I learned along the way but uh... Mm. Mm. so how what helped you to get through those times other than the supportive environment like what kind of what would you say to someone a doctor who's out there now listening to this is struggling um, well
1: maybe. with the re- with the research job actually I went through the practitioner health program oh, um, had an fantastic. Assessment with a, yeah. an amazing psychotherapist who worked as part of PHP yeah um, so for anyone who doesn't very...
0: know that's a, a um, free and confidential NHS service for doctors mm-hmm. who can see any doctor in in England um, and offer um, yeah as I say free and confidential, um, assessment, treatment um, and support um, Yeah, to any doctor that's struggling with a mental health or addiction problem, I do some work with them as you know, mm-hmm. absolutely love it um, and it's amazing and it is yeah, a lot of the things you've talked about today actually are very reminiscent of the things that the patients I see and the doctors I help um, are struggling with, you know, a sense of isolation um, perhaps being unsupported um, yeah it's it's a fantastic program so i would i would certainly encourage people out there if they're thinking they're struggling to get in touch
1: it was really good
0: yeah i think and i'll put the um link to their website in the show notes Ah, underneath the episode
1: great (laughs) Uh, yeah i found them really helpful and it's quite odd being in a research post going through that because you don't in a way you're quite protected from having to um speak to all the people that you would normally speak to if you were in a clinical job and Mm. you were as unwell as I was then I really would have had to have taken time off from clinical work and I think that would have that would have been quite hard for me to Mm. have those conversations Mm. with my supervisors so in a way the fact that it happened when I was in a research job in a way it was good because Mm. it meant I didn't have to go through those processes which are sometimes really Daunting. Yeah, they certainly
0: can be. I mean, I've had a few um, patients who doctors who have really struggled with that side of it. You know, mm-hmm. how to communicate to their colleagues, to their supervisors what's going on. And what's and, oh, been lovely working with the practitioner health programme and their sister programme, the GP mm-hmm. health programme that helps GPs, is... Um, being able to support them with that process mm. and actually maybe taking some of the stress out of that mm. oh, and normalising it as well because I think, you know, I've been there I've, mm. I struggled at times to know what to say and to who and when and how much and mm. all of that stuff and there's, I think there's a lot of fear I don't know about mm-hmm. you but certainly when I first became unwell as a doctor with um, my own episodes of depression mm-hmm. um, I was very scared those first few times I... I honestly thought I was going to lose my job you know I couldn't be a doctor if I struggled like this and and actually the exact opposite is true mm-hmm. you know um, I think doctors with experience of mental health problems actually you know if anything it adds to their to their ability to be a great doctor mm-hmm. um, yeah we totally, I totally, agree. Yeah, yeah. totally
1: agree with that and um, the, the help that is out there is really good yeah um, I own because I was in a research job and I wasn't on um, a fellowship programme, it was an out-of-program, approved for research. It was more of a standalone thing. It was relatively straightforward so I just spoke to my supervisor mm-hmm. and
0: just took it easy for a while rather yeah. than actually having any yeah. proper time off. Well, and actually that's something that's possible for clinical doctors to do as well, and I think they don't realise that. I think often doctors feel... If they get unwell, that's it. Mm-hmm. They, they have to be off work completely. But actually, I support doctors all the time to just take a little bit of a step back. So maybe they do slightly fewer hours or they do a slightly different mix of work. Mm. So maybe a little bit less clinical work for a while or it can be very mm-hmm. different depending on the doctor and their job and their situation. Mm. Um, so this not black be, and white thing, is yeah, it? It's,
1: yeah. I think most doctors don't realise that there are yeah. lots of shades of grey of yes. pain cutting down your hours or taking it a bit easier at work or just having a bit more flexibility about what you do and people are generally very very supportive much
0: more supportive than you think that they would be yeah yeah absolutely um I am desperate to ask you about your horses a complete change of topic (laughs) although maybe not I mean You know, were they a part of your journey in all of this? Did they help you? How did they help? Tell us about your horses. I want to hear about your horses. That's how we met, isn't it? Favourite
1: topic, yes. (laughs) So I am blessed to have two beautiful horses. Um, It was always a dream of mine as a child. I didn't grow up in a particularly affluent family. There were definitely financial struggles. It was always a dream, and one that I thought was probably not attainable so Mm. it was a huge moment in my life when I was finally able to buy my first horse which had been a dream and actually quite poignantly I did it with the inheritance left to me by my dad when he passed away Mm. so my first I always get emotional when I talk about this but my first horse that feels so special because it was although my dad dying was a very sad event it did enable me to do something that I'd always wanted to do and I think that would make him happy so he's Henry and he's very special to me he's a bit older now Um, I've had him for nearly seven years. You've met him. I have, I have. um, I love Henry. He's a true gentle giant. He's very big. He's very, he's actually pink. The colour is strawberry Mm. roan, which is a mixture of chestnut and white, for you non-horsey people. So (laughs) a mixture of orange and white, which somehow comes out pink. It's quite an unusual (laughs) colour. Very beautiful. It is
0: very beautiful. I Um, love, one of my favourite things is um, grooming him actually. So peaceful and sturdy and and what really strikes me is how whatever state I'm in when I come to visit I've been to visit a few times it's like they just pick up on what it is that's going on for me and I before I know it I find myself either like calmer if I need Mm -hmm. to be calmer or maybe maybe even a bit tearful if Mm -hmm. I need to cry about something or Mm -hmm. it's incredible it's actually quite magical just how they tap into that the human emotion Mm -hmm. in front of them and
1: Yes, they're wonderful readers of people and what's going on. They know they know what's going on before you do sometimes is how you're feeling. Yeah. Um so I have a second horse mm. called Barney. one wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just greedy. I have
0: a funny feeling you might not stop it too. <laughs> I think you might
1: be right. Yep, I'm afraid you. yeah. I would put money on that too. And um, so Henry um, had an injury, not too severe, um, but one that meant that all he could do was go out on hacks or trail rides for any Americans out there, so mm-hmm. riding out in the countryside is fine, but anything a bit more strenuous in a school or jumping, dressage, anything like that, mm-hmm. it's just it's not for him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, me being me, I wanted to go and do all those other things as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by that point I could afford to buy my own horse. Um, so, I got second horse Barney who's much younger and mm. much more of a challenge. hmm He's a real handful. Um he was sold to me as a four and a half year old. I think he was probably three, mm-hmm. which is really quite young in horse terms. Okay. Um probably just so in human Ireland. terms,
0: is that like a tantruming toddler or a not what? what? Co- not
1: quite. A little bit older than that maybe. Um probably early teens. Oh ooh, okay, Yeah, not yeah. quite fully developed. Mm. So it's been a very long journey with him understanding him and um training him up mm. um but he's very special to me too because i feel like he's truly my horse because i've helped create him mm. into uh, into what he is now and sort of educated him about the world yeah he's a very nervous soul bless him um, the world is quite a frightening place. So whereas Henry is a great container of emotion, mm. um, Barney is more of a reflector. So ah. he will pick up on negative energy or anxiety and ah. um, react to it. Interesting. Um, so he, for me, is um, he's the one that tells me what's going on in me yeah. quite a lot more. Because if I am tense or irritated or anxious... yeah he won't really do what I want to do
0: (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure makes you even more tense and irritated he's he's not a
1: fan (laughs) so I really have to get myself level and grounded before I try and do anything Mm. with him which has taught me a lot about my own self-awareness and how to contain my own emotions
0: and must as a psychiatrist this must be fascinating Mm. what has it sort of taught you about your practice as a as a doctor? it's
1: taught me that sometimes a silence is golden Mm. and less is more and sometimes just being with someone is incredibly powerful and not trying to always do and not trying to always fix for the sake of distraction or making yourself feel better sometimes it's enough just to sit with what the person's got and show them that you are there and, and that's not
0: this. really in line with what we're taught, is no. it? Through medical school and through our sort of doctor training years that it's very much a model of A plus B equals C, so you must do D. And mm-hmm. and it's that doing part, I think, that helps us to maintain our own or respond to our own anxieties as a doctor. So you see someone who's sick in front of you and you think, oh, I know what to do, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. And actually sometimes what they need is for you to do nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: Particularly in psychiatry and mental health. Or the answer isn't immediately obvious. And that's also okay. That things will unfold with time. Mm. And accompanying someone on the journey through Mm. working out what's going on in the best way through whatever they're dealing with. Is as powerful a thing as you can do. Is just to accompany them and give them support through that. Not always constantly be trying to poke and prod and
0: Mm. do things to people. I think I found that when I was with your horses as well that they it wasn't nothing was going to happen on my time
1: (laughs) horse time horse time is totally different yeah
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah oh I have loved coming and spending time with them and actually that's how we met isn't it Mm -hmm. we met through a site called tea and empathy which Mm -hmm. I'm sure many of the listeners to this um, podcast will have heard of but it's a lovely um facebook-based group an informal peer-to-peer support group for healthcare workers um across the world and um somebody had this great idea on that group that of several thousand members that it wouldn't it be great if those of us who had pets could kind of lend out our pets to other people for pet time and mm-hmm. kind of all that because we know pets have got huge therapeutic value don't they and lots of studies showing that time with spent with pets can reduce your blood pressure mm-hmm. and all of that sort of stuff um and you kindly put up that you had a couple of horses mm-hmm. and it was through that that we discovered we actually worked in the same hospital. <laughs> yeah, we just hadn't met each <laughs> and other. And had never met. Um, so yeah, it's been a wonderful journey and, and it's been a real honour and a privilege to observe your journey over the last couple of years and I'm very excited about the fact that you might be taking your love of horses mm-hmm. and your love of um, you know, helping human beings who are suffering and kind of combining those through... I think, have I got this right? Equine mm-hmm. Assisted Therapy and Learning. Is yes,
1: that right? that's right.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I, I don't know why it took me so long to come <laughs> to come to this conclusion and um, that that would be a good thing to do because now I see it's fairly obvious. <laughs> that's probably what I should have been trying to do all along. And um, I remember, we were talking about this earlier, I remember um, at the point of having to choose a career mm. thinking I either want to work with horses or have a job where... I can afford my own horse and do it as a hobby. And I also really liked the idea of medicine. So I thought, okay, yeah, being a doctor, that should be enough. Uh, yeah. That should provide me with enough money to, uh, to have a horse, um, maybe provide enough money eventually, perhaps not quite as much time as I would like. Mm. But anyway, that's the path I, I went down and then, uh, went into training in psychiatry because I loved it. And old age psychiatry in particular, because I particularly loved that. And then the, um, passion for horses developed even more on the side and then just in the last year or so have realized through doing bits of work with you and them how natural it is to link the two together Mm. to link mental health and working with horses Mm. And went on an introductory course to equine-assisted therapy recently and just had a real light bulb of, oh, well, this is what I do already. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So this would be quite a natural mm. fit and something I love. They say you should find something that you would do for free um, yes. as a job, and I would do that for free. Yeah. So I think that's probably something to aim for.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I love being a clinician, but I don't want to do it five days mm. a week full time I think it's too much for me the emotional burden mm. doing that sort of work um I love doing it but I would prefer to balance that with something complementary but different and mm. outdoors mm. so it seems like a good way forward
0: oh what I love about your story is it mirrors so many stories of doctors that I see and I speak with and I work with who have this passion for something, whether it's horses or crafting or painting or languages or something that they but that has kind of gone a bit dormant or hasn't been attended to because medicine kinda took over. And medicine can be all consuming and we can kinda get on that conveyor belt where we're just going to the next job and the next stage and the next stage and so on. And like you were talking earlier about the different goals, you know, there's always that next exam or that next thing and and actually, I see so many doctors who have got these other talents or these other desires within them, desperate uh, to you know find a way to um, develop those, embrace those, and and but feel very much that it isn't possible. Actually, you can't do both. And what I love about your story is it's a very real example of yes, you can.
1: You just have actually. to find a
0: way. Yeah, and it starts with just tuning in to what it is that you love, mm-hmm. and often it is something that you found right through from childhood you know um for me it was um the sort of creative stuff you know kind of paper crafts and all that sort of thing and um yeah but for and decluttering i did Mm -hmm. it as a declutterer for a while yeah yeah so i mean i've taken this is i'm on a career break at the moment actually doing all the joyful doctor Mm -hmm. work and um this is my second career break from medicine and um Yeah, I'm a big advocate of that idea that you can actually, you can do it or you can do both or you can do a combination and actually medicine or being a joyful doctor doesn't have to look how you think it Mm -hmm. looks.
1: Absolutely. And one of the ways, certainly for me, and I, I think for you as well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think for you as well is having a balance of different things to do, which fit together, they complement each other, but they're different enough to provide varied stimulation. So each one is a bit of a break from doing the other one.
0: The other, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you could, gosh, we've covered so many things, but if you could think of sort of one top tip for people listening, doctors out there listening, you know, how to be a joyful doctor, or what, what would that tip be?
1: give yourself enough time and space to think about what it is that you truly want to do with your life. Mm. I think a lot of people come to that point later on than they might have done at the point when they're really burnt out mm. and really stressed and something just has to change because the rest of life is falling apart, relationships are breaking down, or, um, you've become mentally ill, or there are other yeah. things happening and that's the point when you're forced to take stock of your life and I would just urge people to not be not shy away of doing that earlier and to really carve out time for yourself to think about what it is that makes you tick and what gets you up in the morning before you get to the point of crisis of thinking I'm not happy with what I'm doing it should be part of your day-to-day life it's your own self-development so Mm. you should always dedicate time to thinking how am i how am i doing
0: Mm. um
1: the people i really think the people that make the most contribution to the world often the people that have found the thing that drives them yeah and some people are very lucky and just fall into that naturally but for a lot of people, it takes a lot of time and self-exploration and contemplation to get there. But it is possible to get there. You mm. just need to give yourself time and space. Give yourself permission mm. to think about only you.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said the happy. P word, the permission. I talk mm-hmm. a lot about permission because I think as doctors, we don't give ourselves permission enough to take that time, to give ourselves the space, as you say, to think early on. What do we want to do? What do we love? And I wholeheartedly agree that you contribute most to the world and you make the mm-hmm. biggest difference in the lives of your family and, and others around you when you're doing a thing something that you love. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, no wonderful, wonderful advice. Oh, and I could keep talking to you all day, um, but we're gonna have to draw things to a close. Okay. So one final question. Um I always ask um, or I'm always going to ask <laughs> my guests, this being my first <laughs> podcast. Um Episode. um Could you recommend a book or a resource of some sort, or something that's mm-hmm. helped you that you think might help other doctors to be more joyful doctors? Okay,
1: I'm going to give you three. Ooh. I have many more, <laughs> and I think we spoke about maybe having show notes um, and. Oh yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Send them over. We can put them in the show notes. So send us a list, a top ten, or I'll whatever give you. you a yeah. Little
1: bibliography of things <laughs> that I've found very helpful over the last wonderful. Few years. So um one of the things that inspires me most at the moment is a particular podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually called The Tim Ferris Show.
0: The Tim Ferriss Show, yeah, okay. So Tim
1: T I M. Ferris, F E R R I S S. Okay.
0: And can you find that on kind of iTunes or yep, wherever you would you find yep, podcasts? Yeah, you can find it very easily. Great.
1: Um, he's based in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he's an author of a few books. And I think the first one was A Four Hour Work Week, which is a real kind of oh, self development, yes. entrepreneurial
0: time. Yeah. Date. The idea that actually you can achieve your goals and do everything, but in less time yes. than you think. Yeah.
1: yeah. And yeah. Um, so interestingly, I wasn't that big of a fan of the book i i enjoyed it um but i stumbled across an early podcast Mm. of his where he interviewed an amazing woman called esther perel who's Mm. a relationship expert Ah. and um i listened to him interview this woman it was a really long interview i think Mm. it was about an hour and a half and it was just so captivating and then i realized that what what he has evolved into is um He's become a master interviewer of of inspiring people who you wouldn't necessarily come across Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day life, reading, watching news or whatever. Um, Some people you would have heard of, but some people you won't, but who are also incredibly high achievers and really just really good, interesting, inspiring people. And he talks to them about their lives, their journeys, their advice, their routines, their habits, the things that make them successful and uh, tips that they would give much like you were asking me about what would i give and i have found this show to be so inspiring because he talks to so many different people from different walks of life from i think he interviewed so that was a relationship expert esther perel Mm -hmm. he interviews a lot of ceos of major companies Mm -hmm. um very successful sporting figures um, people who have done a lot of work in, um, mind, in the field of mindfulness and yeah. meditation. Yeah. So really wide range. Fantastic.
0: I'm definitely going to check that one out.
1: Yeah. So that's him. And a book I read very recently that I really liked was called The Chimp Paradox.
0: Oh, yes, yes, I've read that. That's written by a psychiatrist up in the north of England, I think. It isn't is. It? We'll have
1: to look up his name. Yeah. Um, Shame to say I can't remember or it. Or Martin Matthew something.
0: No, anyway, we'll put it in the show we'll notes. we put it in the show
1: notes. <laughs> um, Great book, The Chimp yeah, Paradox. And another one, the third one... It's very accessible, isn't it? It's a
0: very kind of down-to-earth way of explaining how the brain works and how we can kind of override certain things but not others and kind of chaining that inner chimp.
1: Yes, it's just a really beautiful, simple, explanation or working model of how your brain works and how to get the most out of your brain and to um, train it. Like yeah. the, the way that you would train your body to be fitter and more effective, the way yeah. you can use your mind better and understand how it works so you can yeah. anticipate problems. Really good book. Um, sorry, I can't remember his name. Sorry, Professor. Yes, sorry. The name is. <laughs> um, and the the third one is a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen oh,
0: yes.
1: He's a founder of an organisation called Mind Valley, which is a really interesting enterprise. So go mm. and look them up. I think uh, he's on Instagram, has quite a good
0: Instagram page. Oh, they're fantastic recommendations. I can't wait to read the others on the top 10 list, which we'll include under the in the show notes under the podcast. Um. So finally, I mean, I just thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, and I hope you'll come back and maybe speak with me again on a, another episode one day and kind of update us on all your adventures with your beautiful horses and... Um, let us know how that's all going. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out a bit more or they want to get in contact? Maybe they want to come and spend some horsey time with you. Mm. Um, how how can they get hold of you?
1: Okay, um, so probably the best place for horsey stuff is my Instagram, which is pinkponygram. Pinkponygram. <laughs> P-O-N-K-P-O-N-Y-G-R-I-N. Lovely. Yes. Well,
0: I'll put these links under the in the show notes as well. So.
1: And um, for more serious medically type mm-hmm. stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm on Twitter at Josie U. Jenkinson. Don't ask me what the U stands for.
0: Okay, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much You're for being welcome. the first ever guest on the Joyful Doctor Podcast. Um, and um, yeah, hopefully we'll um, speak again very
1: soon. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast. Uh, Really um, excited that you found the podcast and if you've enjoyed it, I would love it if you would maybe share it with another doctor that you know that might enjoy it too and get something out of it. Um, As I say, I'm all about trying to help doctors to live happier lives. Um, If you'd like to... um, keep abreast of what's happening at Joyful Doctor then do pop over to joyfuldoctor.com and you can follow me on any of the major social media um, sites from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to LinkedIn. Um, I really hope to connect with some of you soon and please tune in again um, for another episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast.